This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Hey, Jimmy Smith here filling in for Luke Thomas today on the podcast. We'll discuss Yoanni and Jay Chick's controversial Instagram story directed at Weili Zhang. We'll talk to PFL women's lightweight champion Kayla Harrison and examine the eye pokes of John Jones and how referees should handle infractions in the cage. It's a Luke Thomas show podcast and it starts now. This is from Yoanni and Jay Chick's Instagram post, her stories as the kids call them. That has, assumed made by someone else, it shows uh, Wei Li Zhang, the current 115-pound UFC champion, women's uh, MMA champion, in front of Yuana and Jacek. And Yuana and Jacek has what appears to be a virus-protecting gas mask on. And it has some laughing emojis with some hearts on them. I'll have Mike translate those if you want. You know, let him do that. Clearly a reference to the coronavirus that is right now going through China and is spreading to other parts of the world. That uh, there are some fatalities, a lot of illness, a lot of panic spreading around about this disease. And her IG post clearly making fun of that. Not the smartest move, in my opinion, from Yuani and Jacek. So, and now here's why it's not smart. We're going to go later over whether or not it's over the line or it's too much and is trash talk. When, it, when trash talk goes too far, we're, we're going to talk about all these things. But it's a weird kind of thing for me because you can kind of go two routes with trash talk. Well, first off, but before I get into that, she responded. Now, now I want to, to read this response. It's very, very classy and it was good stuff from Wei Li Zhang. To make fun of tragedy is a true sign of one's character. People are dying. Some, someone's father, someone's mother, someone's child. Say what you want about me if it makes you feel stronger, but do not joke about what's happening here. I wish you good health until March 7th. I will see you soon. I like that. I like that response. Spot on, in my opinion. Great stuff. Yuan and Jaychik apparently doesn't say when. Don't know when she posted this, what date exactly. But uh, she apologized. Yuan and Jaychik did. This is a quote. Hey, champ. So sorry to make you feel bad, but I would never make fun of sick, pe- make fun of sick, sick people of illness or virus. I didn't want you to get offended, but I just made fun of the funny internet meme. So, so sorry, but still, I will see you March 7th. Mike, you there? I'm here. Are you buying that at all? No, she's backtracking. Are you buying? Backtracking. Just backtracking. Just realized I made a mistake. I messed up, and I got to go back. The idea that I'm just making fun of the meme, you know better. You got to know better. But this is not your first rodeo. This is not your first big fight. This is not your first uh, experience with the MMA press, with MMA fans, with how the media works in a fight this big. You knew what was going to happen, and you knew what you were doing. You went too far, and you're backtracking. So that's kind of a half apology. You're not saying, I'm sorry I did that. You're saying, well, I was just making fun of the meme. And Look, we know what you were doing. We get it. Wei Li Zhang gets it. The media got it. 
And now you got to backtrack rather than just apologize. That's a bit half-hearted to me. Because it's just, you know, you don't want to be insulting of someone's intelligence. You know what you said. You knew how it would be interpreted. Now, I've seen things in MMA media that were misinterpreted or were up for interpretation. And the media took it one way, but you could take it a different way. You can't take what she posted on her IG in any other way as a jab at Wei Zhang through a jab at her country and her country's current situation and the difficulties they are facing. We will talk about when Trash Talk goes too far later on the show and whether this was over the line. But it's a weird shot. And here's why I'm going to say it's a weird shot. You can either get so intensely personal and so specific that it's like a sniper bullet, right? You're hitting exactly where it will hurt the person. You go after something. There's no doubt when Colby Covington went after Kamaru Usman's dead coach, what he was talking about and what he was trying to do. There's no... It wasn't vague. He didn't hint about it. He went right after something intensely personal to try and hurt Kamaru Usman and maybe, just maybe, get him off his game. Or you can stick with general trash talk. I'm better than you. I'm going to kick your ass, whatever, whatever you think it is. That won't push those buttons, but is generally more accepted. This is a weird one. I have to admit, this is a weird one. Because unless a member of Wei Li Zhang's family has coronavirus or something that we're not aware of, this isn't intensely personal. It sucks. I'm sure Wei Li Zhang is not pleased about it. But it doesn't particularly call out a member of her family. It doesn't talk about anything specific to Wei Li Zhang. But it also crosses a line that's going to piss off a lot of people. And... Wei Li Zhang just isn't the kind of person, from what I've seen, who's going to get upset by something like this and it'll make her fight emotionally and, and, and take her off her game. I, I don't see any of these things happening. So you kind of cost yourself a little bit with the fans and yet didn't really hit the mark with whatever you were trying to do. Is that a fair assessment? You get, you're picking up what I'm putting down, Mike? You see where, see where I'm going with this? Yeah, I see you. It's kind of a shotgun approach, like... Yeah, the country has a disease going through it. And you're like, yeah, it does. How that is specifically targeting Wei Li Zhang, I have no idea. And the number of times I've seen trash talk really get under somebody's skin. And a lot of people are going to bring up Conor McGregor and, let's say, Eddie Alvarez, uh, Jose Aldo. It's just, you know, they seem to be off their game because of having to deal with Conor McGregor. I, I want to I say something very important here. Part of the deal was they weren't used to the kind of press that goes into a fight with Conor McGregor. It wasn't just what Conor McGregor said. It wasn't just what he posted or all this stuff. It was having to deal with trash talk in, a, in, a, in an environment you're not used to dealing with. A big press conference environment. Right up there in a suit and with the belt and a ton of questions, a ton of media, a ton of press. I think that was more of an issue 
for Jose Aldo and Eddie Alvarez than anything specific Conor McGregor said. I don't think that was a big deal. I had heard worse. I had seen worse. Um, I think it was more just the, the size of the moment was a little too much for both of them. And I think Conor McGregor gets a lot of credit for kind of getting them off their games with the trash talk. But was it that or was it just the size of dealing with an unprecedented spectacle? Conor McGregor brought, brought something in terms of media attention and size that neither guy had really seen before. So when you talk about, hey, trash talk works, it, get guy, it gets guys off their game and all this stuff, I, I haven't seen it that much. Every now and then, I'll, I'll see someone not handle it well. But you know, if you study, for example, um, the, the great fights in history, and of course, you know, the greatest trash talker of all time, probably Muhammad Ali. How often did it work? I mean, that, that's a matter of interpretation. Sonny Liston. If you look at their first fight, one of the biggest upsets in boxing history, I think it was a seven to one underdog. Sonny Liston really thought he was going to win that fight. It, it, it didn't distract him that much. When you, There's a great biography on Sonny Liston I was able to read. And, and it talked about, it was, Sonny really thought he was going to win that fight. He thought Muhammad Ali was scared. What changed the tenor of that fight was Muhammad Ali came out and punched a lot harder and was a lot harder to hit than Sonny Liston expected. And Ali outfought him and that was it. And a lot of people kind of retroactively thought maybe the trash talk got him off his game, but it was the tactical differences that did it. George Foreman said when he stepped in the ring against, against Muhammad Ali, he said, I thought I was in for the easiest night of my career. I thought I was going to destroy this guy. Nothing Ali said before that really bothered Foreman. It didn't bug him. You know, Ali came in with a great game plan and tactically, once again, beat George Foreman. But we look back on it. And we go, man, he was really distracted by the trash talking. And a lot of times they're not. They're not. So when you're going to you know, use this trash talking, example of Colby Covington, Kamar Usman, you know, who did it work out for? Kamara Usman. Not Colby Covington. So the weird thing about this Yuani and Jacek post is it's, the, it's kind of this weird scattergun approach trying to get a sitting champion who's clearly very mentally strong, who's never shown in th- that I've seen any inclination to fall when it comes to, oh my God, I, I, I'm mentally not ready for this warfare. I don't see that at all in Wei Li Zhang. So it, it, it's kind of costing her fans, apparently. A lot of people posted they didn't like it at all. And she's got to back off the comments. Now, you can argue, and we will argue later, about whether or not you want to double down on something like this. Once you take that step, do you double down on it? Now, Mike, if you are Joanna Yunjechik's people, her managers, whatever, would you urge her to apologize? Or once you put it out there, you got to go with it. What would you say is, is better or worse? Once you put it out. I would advise her not to put it out at all. But what would your advice be about doubling down once it's it's out there? Are you are you trying to like posit a world where she didn't say what she said afterward, like her little right. half-ass apology? Right, right. Her little before she put her half-ass apology. You're her manager. You're her her people. Her representation. Whatever. Okay. Wei Li Zhang comes out with this 
I think, very well-spoken rebuttal or response, whatever you want to call it. And she goes, what should I do? Is it smarter to back off or double down once you're there in that situation? Uh, I would probably told her to kind of back off and apologize a little bit. Gotcha. Um, I think doubling down, you know, unless you're trying to be Colby Covington and and really just try to get under people's skin. If that's not what you're attempting to do, if you want to be liked by the fans, uh, yeah, you probably apologize and just say, yeah, you know. But what? it makes me wonder what the point of something like that is if it's not to get into the skin of your opponent. If you're going to go there, you got to go there. I mean, here's the thing, too. It wasn't even like something she posted up on Twitter. It was just an Instagram story which disappears in 24 hours. So I think she just thought that it was probably funny. Nothing disappears in 24 hours. I'm aware, but I'm saying it wasn't out there for, you know, that that meant to stay out there. I think she probably just thought it was stupid and funny and like, oh, yeah, I'll I'll just throw this out there and maybe didn't think it all the way through. But once she get told by Whaley Zhang, you know, her thoughts on the subject – Maybe back off and just apologize. You know, I didn't think I, I didn't realize what I was doing. I'm sorry about that. Well, it's always out there now. It's out there forever. If you don't know Sirius XM, then listen up. Commercial free music plus sports, comedy, talk, and news. They have it all. A lot of people think you need a car to enjoy Sirius XM, but you don't. You can listen outside the car. Right now, you can get your first three months of Sirius XM outside the car for free. Just go to SiriusXM.com slash Luke Thomas. To see offer details and to subscribe, you can listen on your phone, at home, and online. That's SiriusXM.com slash Luke Thomas. Offer available to new SiriusXM streaming subscribers. SiriusXM, no car required. Dominic Reyes, and I'm looking at MMAFighting.com, admits John Jones' John Jones's eye pokes are a serious problem. Plans to warn the referee at UFC 247. I don't mean to laugh. Okay, I I really don't mean to do that, but it's I'm going to let the referee know. Are you really like they're not aware? That's absolutely ridiculous. Not that his concerns are ridiculous. I'm not. I think he has a very valid concern. But the idea that the the referee is going to be reminded like he's unaware that John Jones does this all the time. It's always been a problem. This is the article. As Dominic Reyes was in the middle of a sparring session with one of his training partners as he prepared for a showdown with John Jones, he accidentally got an eye poke during one of the exchanges. Immediately, Reyes' training partner paused, apologized, and asked Reyes if he was okay to continue. Without hesitation, the 30-year-old light heavyweight contender put up his gloves and moved forward to finish the round. I said, just keep going. It's training. We got to get ready for this guy. Reyes relayed when speaking to MMA fighting, getting ready for Jones, you got to deal with the eye pokes. He's been admonished by referees on numerous occasions, I'm quoting from the article, in the past for the accidental foul, including several past title fights against Alexander Gustafson, Daniel Cormier, Quentin Rampage Jackson, Glover Teixeira. Jones has also faced warning for pawing his opponents with open fingers, which can oftentimes lead to inadvertent eye pokes. Look, here's the deal that makes this hard to deal with. And I want to hear from the fans, one eight seven seven fight 93 1-877-344-4893. How you think referees should deal with this. I think that's huge. How they should handle it. Here's the problem, okay? Poking someone in the eye is illegal. The stuff that leads up to it is not illegal. 
Meaning, you have your hands out in front of you. He often keeps range with his lead hand. He's the taller guy. He often does that. Like any other sport, you can't find someone for almost holding. Or flag somebody, I'm sorry, for almost holding in football. It doesn't work that way. It's retroactive. All right, you held. That's a flag. That's X number of yards. Personal foul. Personal flag. Personal foul. It's X number of yards after it happens. The problem we have with this sport, and you could say law enforcement period, is it's hard to be proactive, right? You can't penalize them until after they do it. And a lot of times, after they do it, it's too late. Because eye pokes, by the way, doing commentary, I have to say, the replay of an eye poke is my, the worst replay to look at ever. I can take a groin strike, replay. I can take all that stuff. The slow-mo of someone's finger going into an eye is awful. It's absolutely awful. It's the worst. And the problem is, usually an eye poke or an eye gouge, whatever you want to call it, the hard part is it it completely redefine a fight. They'll say they're okay, everything's all right, and they're not. They're not. A lot of the times, it's just it's just a tough thing to deal with. So, you can't tell them beforehand, hey, don't... I mean, you can obviously warn them about having their fingers extended and stuff like that. It's just a hard foul to call beforehand. It's hard to penalize someone beforehand. Now, I was able to talk to Big John McCarthy a while ago about this, and he said, what I'd like to do is warn somebody for extending their fingers or getting close to the eyes. Hey, don't do that. Hey, be careful with that. So when it does happen, I'm able to take points earlier. If I tell you ahead of time, watch your fingers, and you don't listen to me and you you gouge the guy in the eye, I can say, look, I warned you once. That's a point. I can start a lot sooner. I think that's an intelligent way to go. We've talked about glove designs that make it harder. Gloves that keep the knuckles kind of curved. Not all the way into a fist, but a little bit curved. So it's hard to spread the fingers out. I think that's important too. But eye pokes are some of the most brutal and worst fouls you can see. Really, because obviously getting kicked in the cup sucks. Totally sucks. Okay? But one of the things cups are designed for is to take that impact. And a lot of times, depending on, you can take one to the cup and, and be okay. But an eye poke is god-awful. Absolutely awful. And I think increasingly it becomes a, 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 a serious factor in determining the outcome of a fight. And John Jones has been an offender over and over and over again. So the only thing a referee can do is say, look, I'm going to warn you about holding your hands in a certain position. If you then do that, and there's an eye gouge, I'm going to take a point immediately. That's the only thing I can think of that would make a difference is, look, I'm not, I'm, I, I, consider yourself warned when you walk into the octagon. You are warned. Don't paw with the, the, the fingers. Don't keep them outstretched. Don't go anywhere near the eyes. As soon as you gouge him or there's, a, there's an infraction where you poke the eye, it's going to be a point. You are walking into the octagon warned already. Mike, do you think that's fair? Uh. Look, there are times where it is going to be an accident, but we're supposed to have these rules that say you're not allowed to extend your fingers, period. So I'd be okay with them hitting them up right away for a point. Now, you might think that's unfair, that's too much, and that's fine. 
But I think that's the only thing that would really be a deterrent is I'm not giving you that one warning, right? I'm not giving you the first time you do it, it's going to be a point. It's going to be a point every time you do it. So don't even start. Don't even get close. Can you think of any other deterrent, Mike? No, I, I think that should be like that with that. It should be like that with fence grabs. All these different things, because I think if you start actively hitting fighters up right away, whether it's you know just an accidental thing that you did or whatever, I think fighters will start being a lot more conscious of not doing it. You won't see them sticking their fingers out anymore because they'll be afraid to hit the, get the, lose that point. You know, it's, it's one of those things where the fence grab is probably the most common foul. It's probably the least punished foul. The reason for it is that, now you can argue about how much it does, but, but generally speaking, it's not something that determines a fight the way an eye poke can. Now, of course, that depends completely on the timing. If you can stop one takedown, sometimes that can be the whole fight right there. But it's the least penalized and most common foul. So taking a point away from that would be tough. It would be really tough. Because they happen so often, they can be a bit more subtle. But eye pokes, you can lose your, you know, you can lose your, your, your career over that. I'll just point out Michael Bisping can really affect you a lot. So in this, obviously, being a big fight, championship fight against one of the greatest fighters of all time who's known for that, I think the referee should be on it. And I think he should walk in almost pre-warned. That's what I would tell him. You're walking in with a warning. The Luke Thomas Show is your one-stop destination for MMA. If you're in a UFC title fight and you get finished in the first round, yo, you lost. Sports. I cheer for loser teams. As well as pop culture and entertainment. No matter what Star Wars comes out, I'll just find a way to like it. No. The Luke Thomas Show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on your home for combat sports. Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156 and the Sirius XM app. Now included free for most subscribers. On the line now, not many people have an Olympic gold medal. She has two. Not many people are undefeated in their MMA career. She is. Not many people win a tournament that wins you a million bucks and apparently was answering questions at Super Bowl media in the uh, press line. That's pretty awesome. Kayla Harrison, first question I have to ask, what's going on with the Super Bowl? How cool is that? Answering questions there. Dang, the Super Bowl is going good. Thank you. Um, obviously, I play on American Top Team, so I don't live too far north. Uh, so I was like, yeah, you want me to come do some stuff? Let's see what comes together. And uh, wow, a lot of stuff came together. But I don't want to like talk too much crap. I don't want to talk too much smack. I just want everyone to know that I am ATT Fantasy League football champion this year. So if anyone has kind of a big deal. Yeah, kind of. Forget Olympic gold medals and all that stuff. Fantasy league, that's where it's at. No, you know what's so (laughs) sick is I was more excited about winning the fantasy league than I was about the million dollars. Just because everyone talks so much crap in the league. And you know how you know how it is. Like the guys, like they were like, Oh, you're a girl. Like they weren't even gonna the first year they didn't even invite me. I'm the only only female to ever be invited. And now I'm like, I just I took over. I won the whole damn thing. Can you believe it? This is my life. I mean, like a million bucks or winning the fantasy football league. You got to take the fantasy football league. I mean, it's not even close, right? <laughs> I, some six parties would probably do that. 
So, no, but it's just like they, I mean, I told Dan, the owner, I was like, oh, right. they have, you know, they have, uh, I mean, first of all, he shows up to the draft with like four computer screens and I show up with my cell phone and I completely, I beat him. I beat Colby. I beat Richie, the gym manager. I beat, uh, Will Brooks. I mean, we're just like, you know, I beat Primo. I don't know if you've, you've probably been to ATC, but anyway, I, I have. Everybody. I'm the fantasy league champion. And I told him, I said, you know how they have all the trophy cases. I was like, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get it. my my team name was Team Unicorn, so I was like, I'm gonna get a, uh, a belt with a unicorn on it, and I'm gonna sneak in in the middle of the night and put that in the trophy case. Dude, that is living your dream, Kayla. That is living the absolute dream. Are you kidding me? Like, this, I'm living my best life. Like, me and Cardi B. <laughs> so who's your, who's your uh, do you have a horse in this race for this Super Bowl? Do you have a favorite when it comes? I mean, to I don't Niners have Chiefs? a I don't have a horse. No, but. I, I mean, I think the Niners are going to win it, but I hope that the Chiefs win. So, I like Andy Reid. I feel like he said after he, they won their, uh, which one of the games they were like, "How did you celebrate?" And he was like, "I went, and, I went and got a cheeseburger." And I was like, "That's my kind of guy." That's your guy. That's that's the deal right there. That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, winning the million bucks, and and you know. I'm assuming our board operator, Dre, I'm assuming he's poor. I'm poor. We don't know what it's like to suddenly have a million dollars. What was that like, just winning that and knowing that had happened, waking up the next day? What impact did that have on you? Well, I mean, first, before you, uh, before you get the money, you have to go through drug testing and all that. So once your drug te- tests come back clean, then they give it all to you. Um, and I took a picture of it. I took a picture of the million dollars in my bank account just because it had been one of my goals to be That's a millionaire sweet. before 30. That's a And then I goal. did it. And then, like 20 minutes later, you know, I paid my tax estimates and then I paid my manager and then I paid the gym. And I was like, oh, there's this. Uh, there's this. Um, but no, I actually am very fortunate, you know. I have financial advisors in place, and so um, that money is all put away, and I can't touch it for a long time, and uh, can't make any bad, any bad decisions. Because so. <laughs> that sinks a lot of people. We're talking to Kayla Harrison, PFL lightweight women's champion and winner of the million dollar season tournament. Um, what's it been mm-hmm. like in the PFL? Just the ascension of your career, not just winning that tournament, but your whole run through PFL. What's that been like for you? Oh, it's been awesome. I mean, first of all, I get to fight for a company that I truly believe in. I get to do it at a weight class that's comfortable for me. Um, And I get to do it my way. So it's just been, you know, my partnership with the PFL has been, it is the reason that I'm doing MMA. If the PFL didn't exist, I don't know that I would have been comfortable enough to, to make the switch. So I'm, I mean, I know I keep saying it, but I am really living my best life. What was that like in terms of you're so successful in judo, two-time Olympic gold medalist? What were the thoughts about moving forward? What were your plans before the transition to MMA? Like, was it something you always wanted to do? Was it a natural fit, or was it a big step for you? No, it wasn't. Definitely wasn't something I always wanted to do. Um, it, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had been talking to the International Judo Federation about possibly getting a job with them. And I mean, also the Olympic government had a parent to talk because I was like, I didn't know who I was if I wasn't 
Kayla Harrison Olympic champion. So it was, it was a tough time for me. Um, you know, what's the craziest thing about all of it to me is like, I really, really thought, I really thought that I loved judo. Like I really thought that judo was the love of my life, that it would always be my first love, that it was like where my heart really lied. And then someone locked me in a cage with four ounce gloves. And I was like, Oh my God, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. Like this is that feeling that I've been chasing my whole life. Like that feeling, that natural high, like you want to talk about feeling alive, go lock yourself in a cage with someone. Like, are you, it's just, I found my, I found my true calling and is that, you know, judo and the Olympics and all that was just a warm up for what I'm going to, for what I'm going to accomplish in MMA. Now you're talking to a guy who has been locked in a cage with another human being. And I know that feeling very, very well. And it's what you live for. Um, What's the trajectory trajectory normally? I was trying to explain this to, you know, because I was a wrestler, I follow uh, mm-hmm, wrestling at the mm-hmm. Olympic level and the college level, and it's generally mm-hmm. you go through college, you hopefully win an Olympic gold medal, and then if you can, you get a coaching position at a Division One school and do well for the rest of your life. That's kind of the post competition. If you're really lucky, that's where you go. What is it for judo that doesn't have like a, an NCAA component to it? Where do old right. judo players go essentially? <laughs> Nowhere. Um... No, I mean, it's a big problem in our, in our sport in the United States. I mean, yeah. in in foreign countries, you know, judo is considered a marquee sport for a lot of these countries. It's, you know, their government, they're nationally funded by their governments, and there's a lot of prestige. If you're, in, if you're a judo player and you win a gold medal in Russia, you get a million dollars in a car, you know? Like, it's, it's a little bit different over there than it is here where you get, you know, $25,000 and a pat on the back, but... I think that um, after, you know, with your young up-and-coming judo player, you're, there's not even a college program. Like, judo is a club sport in the school systems, and I think that's a problem. And I think that's where wrestling has done such an amazing job is by being in the school systems. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's one of the biggest sports in the country. So we're, we're, we're behind on that. We need to fix that. Judo needs to fix that, I should say. I, I'm not, I tried to fix it. Nobody listened to me. <laughs> they should. They should. You know a lot about I, it. I uh, competitively, um, competing at the highest level in judo, where it's tournaments, you're going through, you know, four or five fights at least in in one tournament. What was the switch? The difference going into MMA and having to worry about one person? That's all you're worried about. You know exactly who it is. Was there a switch in mentality making making that transition? Yeah, there's definitely a big. It's a, de- a big mental, uh, I mean, it's just totally different. You know, you, for me, I was like training and competing all the time. So I was always sort of getting used to, I was used to being, I don't know, under pressure. That was like my normal was, was okay, go to a tournament, compete, win, go to a tournament, compete, win, go to a tournament, compete, you know, third, go to a tournament. Comp- so the, it was my normal. It felt like work, but in MMA, the stakes are a lot higher. Like your value significantly decreases once you lose. Whereas in judo, like as long as I didn't lose at the Olympics, I was upset when I lost, but I knew that it wasn't my ultimate goal. And, you know, you fight five girls in one day versus spending 12 weeks preparing for one girl. It's just a totally different mindset. And every fight sort of feels a little bit like the Olympics. And I'm still so new and I'm still so green and it's all like, 
I mean, I can't tell you, like, I know, like, just from 25 minutes of cage time in the finals for PFL this year was, like, that is invaluable experience for me. I learned so much about myself and about fighting in that fight that, I, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's crazy to me. It blows my mind how much I don't know, even that I don't know. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know until you don't know I it and you have to use crazy. it and it sucks, right? Yeah, um, Exactly. I- I'm talking to Kayla Harrison, PFL lightweight champ. Um, your goals moving forward. So many people talk about mm-hmm. kind of something coming out of them when they when they accomplish a big goal, they win an Olympic medal, you just won a million dollars in a tournament. Mm-hmm. That idea of keeping that fire burning is it difficult? Mm-hmm. Is it natural for you? What's it like going forward after something like that? I mean, it's natural for me. I feel like I've never been externally motivated. I've always been motivated from something deep inside me. Um, you know, I had to argue with my coaches a little bit, like after this fight, I wanted to take a week off and they were like, no, you need to take at least a month off. And I was like, all right, we'll settle at 20 days. So, you know, I went home to Ohio to see my family. And then on January 20th, I was like on a plane back home to Florida. (laughs) Um, but I think, I mean, I'm just one of those people who I, I feel most alive. I feel most happy when I have a goal in front of me, when I have something to look forward to, when I have something to wake up for every day. Um, that's just, that's how I operate. And I think it, uh, I don't know, makes me a better person. When you talked about fighting at a weight class that is comfortable for you, that you feel good at this weight mm. class, what immediately jumps into my mind is, was Cyborg at 140 and the footage of her trying to cut was almost, it's hard to watch. Mm. It was difficult to even mm. be around. What are your thoughts on weight cutting, especially for women in the sport where it can be a lot more difficult than men? What are your thoughts on that and, and, and what's comfortable and what isn't? Well, I'm just not a big fan of weight cutting. I don't believe in it. I didn't do it in judo and I don't really want to do it in MMA. I think it sends the wrong message to our kids. I think for the future generations. And I think especially for women, it's super unhealthy. It's super dangerous. Um, it messes with your, you know, all your levels and, and, and all sorts of things like that. And then for men too, though, like, don't get me wrong, but more importantly for fighters, for MMA fighters, Like, what is the thing that protects your body? It's water. Water protects your brain. Like, water, your body is made up of water, and water protects your brain. So you're dehydrating your body of 30-plus pounds, and then 24 hours later, asking your your body to get in a a cage and perform at peak level, you know, 24 hours after dehydrating it completely and, you know, losing all of that protection that you had around your brain and then think that there's not going to be anything wrong with that. You know, we're we're getting here with four-ounce gloves, like, the margin for error is centimeters, inches. It's not, it's, I don't know. It just blows my mind. I don't believe in it. I don't think it's a good thing. You look at that footage of Chris Cyborg and, and countless other athletes who do that to themselves. I'm not saying you can't do it, but I just don't think it's healthy. Even with nutritionists, even with the, like, I was always taught that if you're going to win, you're going to win at whatever weight you compete at. I understand that things are different in MMA, punching, striking, all of that comes into play, but. For as long as I can get away with it, I'm going to try and be the change in the world that I want to see. And one thing is I want to see more female weight classes and I want to see more diversity. You know, the whole world doesn't, the whole world doesn't, all of the world's females are not straw weight. All right. Let me tell you that. Like (laughs) we come in all different shapes and sizes. Okay. Uh, My last question for you, you've run through everyone in the PFL tournament. What are the challenges (laughs) you're looking forward to in 2020? 
Um, yeah, I just re-signed with them, so I'm hoping they bring some fresh blood um, to the division. I would really love to do that. I, I don't know if Sarah Kaufman re-signed, but if she did, I would like to fight her first fight and just go ahead and get that out of the way. Uh, she talked a lot of smack, smack last year and then didn't even make it to the finals. So I'd like to go ahead and silence that so that she doesn't talk again all year and then underperform. Um, other than that, you know, I'm just going to fight whoever they put in front of me. That's my goal. And just to be the best that I can be one step at a time, one fight at a time, um, 1% better every single day. Well, producer Mike had a theory that mm-hmm. PFL and Bellator could and should work together to make a fight between you and Cyborg. Now, that's on Mike. Mike, you have to admit that. You did, you did want to see that. Guilty. This isn't on me. Guilty as charged. That'd Guilty really as charged cool. he is. What, what would you think of that fight, and what possible weight class would you want to do it? That would be really cool. I would do it at um, – I mean, obviously, she cuts a ton of weight, so I would prefer to do it at 155. I think everyone has this, like, illusion that I walk around at, like, 190 pounds or something just so everyone's clear like when i say i don't like to cut weight that means i don't walk around higher than the weight class that i compete at so at the most like when i'm eating like pizza or wings every night nachos for days i walk around at 165 pounds so that's the heaviest i ever get so i'm not just like monster um because I fight 155 pounds. So just so everyone's clear of that. I mean, I am a monster, obviously. I mean, (laughs) you're a beast. Let's let's change it. You're a beast, not a monster. There's there's a difference, all right? Okay, thanks. (laughs) I'll take it. Whatever. Whatever you want to say. But, no, I would love to fight Cyborg. That's still something that is definitely interesting. Um, You know, we'll see. I'm totally open to that. You heard it. If it happens, Mike gets credit for it. Kayla, thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck to you in 2020. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.